Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Good morning. It's Michael and Mark is present but on my screen. This has been a particularly fun week as we had the wonderful Lady Gaga and Jennifer Lopez concert featuring special guest star Joe Biden yesterday. So hopefully we continue with the upward tick. For a second it sounded like you were saying we had Lady Gaga on the podcast but she's yet to respond to us, hasn't she? So this week we have the wonderful Adam Pearson on our podcast. Hang on, I'll explain that you're wearing a red t-shirt and then I'll say come on you reds and that'll hopefully like gee you up. I will then get our guest Adam involved. Yeah, this Great. is probably our best intro yet and Prime, I'm saying something. Prime, Prime podcast, really good intro. Playing the intro, which makes it great. I also love that the that the guest is also part of the intro now. <laughs> we, we're, we're so bad at intros that the guest has to actually do it. For okay. us. You don't get this on often. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the former co-star of Scarlett Johansson, among many other strings to his bow. I mean, I would love to be a co-star of Scarlett Johansson. I couldn't speak then. That was terrible, wasn't it? No, that, that happens to you sometimes, and that's one reason you're not the co-star of Scarlett Johansson yet. <laughs> But Adam Pearson's, like a lot of the people we talked to, it was a very, very varied and interesting career. And, uh, well, we always say we enjoyed the chats, but it's true, isn't it? We always do enjoy them. Oh, we did enjoy it. Adam Pearson is coming up. Dear listener, Mark is at a cross from me and he's wearing a red jumper. And apparently red is what Bristol City Football Club stroke team uh, wear and like. Um, it is their favourite colour. Come on, you Reds. Thank you, Michael. That, that was perfect, yes. and Great, now I've explained it. That <laughs> yeah. makes it cool. <laughs> you have inspired me to introduce today's guest. We're very lucky to be joined by Mr. Adam Pearson. Yo. Um, hi, Adam. How are you doing? First Good person to, to say yo to us. Yes, that's, that's, uh, uh, he said to us earlier that he's um, a pretentious gangster from Croydon which is a good introduction, I think. It is, although, leaving those things aside, how do you normally introduce yourself, Adam? Can you tell uh, our listeners a bit about yourself? So my name is Adam Pearson. I am an actor, presenter and disability rights campaigner. I've done a, a few BBC documentaries here and there on things like disability hate crime, uh, freak shows on vaudeville, eugenics, genetics, a lot of food stuff. On, on Channel 4, I love food. Food's like the oh, best we love thing food. ever. Well, Adam actually came bearing food earlier, which is always the way to my heart. Especially. It's true. That the first thing to say about Adam is that he uh, arrived with snacks, which means that there's very little he can do wrong now. But he's, he's The best guest yet. He's earned a lot of... Yeah, I'm looking at some of the previous ones thinking, well, where were your cupcakes? Where, <laughs> where were your French fancies? Did you, do you even want to be on this podcast? Where's the, where's the appetite? 
Um, is it also worth you describing your, your disability, Adam, for people um, who don't know? Yeah, you'll, no, you'll probably I'm, do it better I'm, than you. I'm, sh- absolutely. You so must I, know a fair bit about it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm clued up. <laughs> I'm, I'm clued up. It's, it, you, you are not the first person who's brought it to my no, attention. It, it's the sort sir. of thing that does come up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I have a genetic condition called type 1 neurofibromatosis, or NF1. For short, it's a genetic condition that affects the 17th chromosome of the human genome. It affects roughly one in every 2,300 births, which puts it just within the boundaries of being classified as a rare condition. The benchmark for rare is is one in 2,000. That's interesting. I didn't know know that. And what it causes is, in the same way that electrical cables are wrapped in plastic, your nerves are wrapped in cells called Schwann cells. And the condition means that these cells grow exponentially, causing benign tumours called fibromas to occur anywhere where your central nervous system exists. And in my case, most of mine are on my, my face and upper torso. Um, I've got a little one on, on my hand. I don't know why I'm holding my fucking hand up on a podcast, but I did. <laughs> but for those of you at home, you can imagine a hand and he's done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go, again. <laughs> All three of us now showing poor podcast form. <laughs> Absolutely. And... Yeah, it, it affects my, my appearance, it affects my vision and, and my speech and, and my, my breathing. No, luckily, not my, my mental capacity. And there's a real spectrum of the condition uh, as well. I'm, I'm very much the spinal tap of, of my condition. <laughs> well done, you, for getting that <laughs> reference. Thank you. You're the big guns. It went, it went straight over Elizabeth Day's head. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to uh, the podcast you did with Elizabeth Day, in fact, yeah, and... Well, what can I say? Not everyone's not everyone has the popular culture references uh, but they, spectrum that Michael and I do. They do have the podcasting skills that we do. Yes, the main difference is Elizabeth is good at doing a podcast. But uh, <laughs> there we go. We're learning. Obviously, you uh, you've just said that it affects different people. The condition affects people in different ways. You've actually got a brother with the same condition, but manifests itself differently. Yeah, it? I have an identical twin brother called called Neil, who's hopefully learned how to work podcasting. Hi, to Neil. This. Shout out to Neil. Hi. Yeah, hi, Neil. Hi, Neil. And yeah, he's got short-term memory loss and epilepsy, but has none of the the physical symptoms that I do. So in in a really weird way, he's like a representation of what I would look like if it weren't for the the condition. Which is fascinating. Yeah, no, it is. I think that's a really good word to use to describe it. Fascinating. Because very Mm. often people think that it's somehow a daily soul-destroying reminder of what could have been. And then you've got to kind of pull people up really quickly and get it away from the almost pornification of disability. Well, I've heard you talk a lot about seeing, well, seeing positives, basically, in your situation, mm-hmm. and not in a kind of consolation prize way, but but actually instinctively seeing the good in your situation. And that is, although it's an obvious thing to say, maybe now, I don't think that many people instinctively think like that about disability. No, and I was always raised by my mum to live the life I have as opposed to mourn the one that I don't Mm. and that life's hard for everyone I don't have the monopoly on suffering difficulty or or sorrow and no matter what happens nothing is the end of the world and I don't think anyone is given anything that is beyond their capacity and it's all about waking up making a conscious decision to live in that moment and be your best you every day and then everything weirdly just falls into place it's very interesting that you say that you don't think anyone is given anything to deal with that they because i've heard people say that 
I've heard religious people, for example, say, you know, God would never tax you with something that you weren't able to deal with. But mm-hmm. if you take this religious faith out of it, it's very interesting. Is it a, a belief you have across the board that because I, I often feel probably contended with quite a lot less in my life than you have. Mm-hmm. I quite often feel that loads of things are beyond my capacity and you probably do as well, Michael. I think many things are beyond your capacity. Yeah. Yes, that's why. <laughs> um, but yeah, I find it interesting as a philosophical notion I find it really interesting and I, fi- I think I would be quite inspired by it if I could convince myself of that there you are no easy task convince him no, well, no 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 you've and, got about three minutes <laughs> in, it's very easy to say those kind of things the things that you walk into kind of church gift shops and see printed on <laughs> yes, on kind of coffee mugs precisely it's really easy to say them with the benefit of, of retrospect mm. yeah but when, when you're kind of in the moment or to use like more religious terminology when you're in the valley mm. It, it isn't as easy. Mm. And in that moment, I always think that these circumstances aren't going to change right now, mm. but they will, and how I feel about them will. Yes. At the moment, this sucks. At the moment, you know, black dog wrestling with something, not feeling it. But ultimately, I will move on from this. And this is not the end of the world. It's just going to be a really slog of a weekend to kind of get through it and in those moments I think it's really important you have things that you can do that bring you joy that you have some kind of oasis that you can go to to kind of replenish one's soul and whether whether that's kind of football gaming wrestling magic gathering board gaming I'm showing myself up to be such a dork here (laughs) but no whatever it is well I'm glad even though you know I'm a football fan I'm still glad you said football because there's a a motif in this podcast that almost everyone that comes on it hates football and uh, I feel like an outsider (laughs) so it's nice to have a positive word you mentioned um, the black dog there which I think many people can relate to in terms Mm -hmm. of mental health and things like that were you always this positive I'm assuming you didn't always feel like that so how did you kind of go from a place where you didn't feel like that to where you feel now you learn by doing Mm mm-hmm and that there comes a point when you, you reach a moment where you literally have two choices. As yeah. to, am I going to let X, Y, or Z win? Or am I going to strap on a pair and kick its ass? Mm. And you've, it's very much a growing up and maturity thing. And I've got it wrong a lot. Mm. I get a lot of things wrong on a regular basis. And that's how you learn to get things right, trial and error. I don't nail everything every single day, and I don't wake up every single day, say, Alexa, play Katrina and Waves Walking on Sunshine, and dance around the room <laughs> in my pants, feeling fabulous. But some days you must do. We all do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wednesdays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wednesday's Katrina's day. It is. But you, you said um, you learn by doing, and I think that's a really interesting place to start thinking in terms of masculinity. In where, yeah. When was the first time that you remember kind of being presented with the idea that masculinity or being a man existed? When was the first time you remember that happening? I picked up on it really quickly. Right. I, I was, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to still be, have both my parents together and, and still kicking around. And I came from what sociologists call a serial packet family, kind of me, mum, dad, brother, Dad went out to work. Mum had twins. Wasn't the plan. She cried when she found out she was having twins. But I came out first, so I'm the one they wanted. You were the, you were the actual one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was blessed with me and diagnosed with Neil. <laughs> That's great. And so, yeah, and I also watched a lot of TV as a kid. And this was back when you could advertise toys mm. all hours of the day. And you'd be like, oh, action man, the greatest hero of the ball. And it was all these boys going, yeah, fire, fire, fire. 
And then, like, next album it'd be, My Little Pony. I remember that very jingle. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Loved it. And so you, you We used to of... lampoon it in the school playground. You'd say, right. My Little Pony, Skinny and Bony. It was, oh. I mean, I've, I've had, I've got other materials. See, since. our one was Gap. For the, the, the shop Gap was Gay and Proud. So if you want anything from the Gap, you were gay, which turns out correct. Yeah, it wasn't um, even a joke. No, it was incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm going to phone my girlfriend after this and break some news to her. <laughs> you know my jeans? Well, turns out. <laughs> but those toys and things, did you have an interest in both? Or were you interested in only one of them? I was a gamer from the word go. As soon as five years old, we got an Amiga... And I was like, technology is the rest of my life. Can you describe to a millennial what an Amiga is? And by the way, I had an Amiga as well, so I find that quite an <laughs> offensive question. I'm like, a Nintendo Wii? How dare you? <laughs> sort of like a Nintendo Wii that you couldn't do quite as many things, but also didn't force you to jerk like about pretending to play tennis. Oh, well, pre-PlayStation, yeah. Yeah. Was it made of yeah. wood? Michael. No, no, that, that, that was an Atari C25, which I also own one of now. I, I get like retro, whenever I see like a retro bit going cheap, I'm like, oh, have that. Do, do you still have an Amiga? Yeah, yeah, I got a 1200 up in the loft. Good heavens. See, so an Amiga was. If these you are were, just like literally, these are just words. Well, uh, I learn a lot in this podcast, Michael. Now it's time for you to sit down <laughs> and start learning because finally we're on to the thorny issue of the Commodore Amiga. So you used to have, I mean, this is like, well, you're slightly younger than me, I think, Adam, but. It's early nineties, perhaps, was the heyday of the Amiga, yeah. and it was basically so. It was it was a computer rather than a games console. Right. It was a, a computer that you could do, you know, like basic word processing on it, I suppose, or and it, paint. You know, you had like paintbrush. Yeah, it was called right. So okay. it had the Back appearance the of a modern PC, right. basically, mm-hmm. but almost everyone had it to to play games on, and you. The games were on discs. Uh, again, I'd not, I'm scared to ask whether you've seen... I've seen, seen a floppy disk. Yeah. They were just being disc. phased out of my life when I <laughs> became conscious. What you probably didn't have was the precursor to... Uh, you will struggle to remember... Uh, to imagine the this. earliest I have in my head. Before the Amiga, there was a Commodore 64, and the ga- <laughs> games were on cassettes. And you had to. Oh, I remember them. We had them in our cars. Fine. Yeah, but did you, you've never played a computer game off a cassette. I, I have, should, I have not. Want. No. You haven't lived until you've played Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles off a cassette. It's... You had to press play on the cassette and the game would load and it would take around 45 minutes and then it would say, oh I can't load, I'm sorry. And that oh. was the end of your evening. <laughs> <laughs> I would put a game on to load and then have tea or something and it's come down. progress. <laughs> it was a game of chance, wasn't it, Adam? No, yeah. Sometimes you'd, even with discs, actually, sometimes you'd play a game 20 times and then the 21st time you put the disc in, the computer said, no, no I'm not doing this anymore, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wouldn't literally say that. It would just whir and click and keep whirring. Yeah. And, and about one in three games clicking. you bought, you'd never come home with with a new game thinking can't wait to play this you think I wonder if this will work honestly like on my on my <laughs> Switch now if I have to wait more than like a minute for it to load I'm like I'm not going to play that then I, <laughs> that's an awful I'm thing to I'm not exaggerating to say that both Adam and I can remember a half an hour wait for Gosh. a game to load yeah. but was, was gaming at the time was that a, partic- a traditionally masculine thing to be doing or it, it used to be yeah, yeah I think then, it was then, then for sure it's very much evolved now it's I think it's 52, 48 female to male right and the average age of a gamer is 33 right so it's 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 certainly a generation thing. I think we are the that fifty two forty eight. Did you make that up? Or was that uh, are there more female gamers than more female gamers than male no, gamers? That's from a book called Fun Inc. So why do you think back then when you were waiting for forty five minutes for it to load, you had plenty of time to think? So why do you think it was more masculine at the time? Why do you think it was more boys doing it? Was the was it the advertising? What was the reason? Do you think? I think it was the advertising, and it was you know boys boys worked with kind of tech and got hands-on right. and girls 
kind of skipped and cooked. Mm-hmm. That was sort of like how the playground dynamic worked. And I suppose that the things became kind of self-generating. It like games were made with male heroes. You to play. I don't think many games were tailored with girls in mind. In the no, way not until like '95. Lara I Croft. Think '95, exactly. Idols Interactive, Lara Croft was the biggest selling game for years. It didn't get overtaken until the DS came out with those brain training games. Mm. That that kind of then slipped back. But no, I think Lara Croft did so much of getting females into gaming. And outside of gaming, what other kind of things were kind of... I, I like, I'm kind of like, I'm enjoying painting this picture of how you began to learn what the difference society saw between yeah, men and women I, is. I was also like a massive wrestling fan. Right. So, cool. you know, and even now there's this trope that Vincent Mann likes big sweaty men. So had all I'm not going to complain big, about big sweaty men. It's like being accompanied to the ring by their valets. Or right. here's Macho Man Randy Savage with Sensational Sherry. Yeah. So was, and and so the, the men got in the ring and beat. So then we're doing the actual thing. The women were standing there looking aiding pretty. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, and that is a we see that trope in an awful lot of areas still. Obviously, well, even in like boxing or USC, you've got kind of the ring girls who get in and hold up a number wearing a bikini. Yeah, or like motor racing. There's always a, bit, there's yeah. always a girl there just sort of holding some champagne, hoping Completely. for the best. But yeah, to stick up for the USC a little bit. They, to my knowledge, are the only sport that don't demarcate between genders when they call someone a champion. If mm. you're the strawweight champion or strawweight champion, they don't call you the strawweight women's champion. Right. You get the same belt and the same title mm. as as the guy does. And also, at the top, the pay gap is like really small. That's good to know. Oh, I don't know much about wrestling, to be honest with you. It's not a world... I mean, you, I, you I, amaze me, Michael. Do I shock you? I'm still to this day shocking you, but um, I, I had you down as almost certain to be a wrestling, a fanatic, wrestling yeah. gamer. <laughs> yeah, actually, to be fair, I am a gamer. Um, I suppose it's an obvious, sort of an obvious question to ask you, and but I, I do think it's very interesting. As you were forming your impression of yourself as a man, or as a, uh, as a man as a boy, through mm. things like gaming and all the rest of it, how did it feel to you that you were not, you can't have been seeing people that looked like yourself in these games, but but anywhere really? Did it? What's it? What's it like to grow up with never or rarely having your sense of who you are as a man reflected back to you by other men in in, in such a primal way? Yeah, whenever you did see disfigurement or disability in gaming or TV or films, it, it's often shorthand for either victimhood or villainy. Mm. Yes, you talked about like, this. like yeah. Disney characters who are whose disfigurement is so in, intrinsic to their evil nature yeah. that they're named after them. Like Scar from The Lion King, Captain Hook. Yeah, and Scar is a nasty piece of work. Oh, he's awful, his, his actions he's in The Lion King are appalling. Yeah. Yeah. He is awful. <laughs> I'm saying it now. Scar... I would like to see the origin story, actually, of Scar. Like, like, flip it, let's see what happens. Well, it better be good, because that bastard really gets away with... <laughs> he does. In the end, I suppose he doesn't. But Yeah, so, so I mean, that must be a very odd thing to, to grow up mm-hmm. with, not just very little representation of yourself, but yourself as a, a kind of, yeah, automatic shorthand for badness yeah and then people i don't want people to see those portrayals and instantly think i'm an arsehole i want them to get to know me before they find that out <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's good for people to have a brief window of thinking you're not an arsehole for <laughs> yeah, that, no, exactly. yeah. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't hide it but at least figure it out at least think i'm an arsehole for the right reasons <laughs> yeah, yeah completely but how do you form a sense of self when you don't see yeah. yourself anywhere exactly very interesting that's a really good question. I'm annoyed. I, ten out yeah. of ten. I'm jealous because that was the sort of question I was angling for, but you put it much better, and that is what goes in the edit ultimately. Podcasting. Right. <laughs> I think you get there, and I I get really annoyed when people try and imitate rather than 
emulate. Okay. And when you when you pick role models, you've got to you've got to pick well, but also realize that they aren't the be all and end all. And and what I mean by that is I could spend from now until my dying day trying to become the best. I don't know, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Justin Bieber. I I could. And no matter how much I nail it, and no matter how hard I work at it, I'm only ever going to come second. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, I think I was about, what, 15 when I got here? I was like, I'm going to stop trying to be the best X, Y, and Z I can be and start focusing on being the best Adam Pearson I can be. I don't know what that means yet. Mm. It just sounds really cool, yeah. but also really difficult. I think it sounds really freeing. Something like I struggle with a lot is feeling as if I have to be better than other people rather than being a good version of myself or, or just adversely comparing myself to everyone. And I think I'd love to be able to train myself to think in terms of being the best I can be rather than... Because you, as you say, and again, I think this is quite... I don't know if it's, it's certainly not an exclusively male thing, but I do think as men, consciously or not, we're reared to think in terms of competition all the time, winning, yeah. being better than other. Again, it's not all about masculinity, but... I do think that partly it's to do with the way schools are structured. There's a lot of factors, but I think there is a kind of expectation on men to out-achieve each other, which you struggle to shake off in adult life. It's a real alpha thing as well, isn't it? On, yeah. on a Friday night, you can go down any any pub in, on the face of the earth and watch loads of lonely men trying to one-up each other to meet yeah, the it, most attractive bird or or what have you. And I think it does them a real disservice. And I think it does masculinity a real disservice. Because I think we've got a very warped view yeah. of what masculinity is. I think we've all looked at women and been like, well, men are the opposite of women. So whatever they do, I'm going to gonna go out and I'm going to do the opposite of that, mate. Grr, yeah, men. yeah. I must be as different as a woman as yeah. possible, just in case anyone yeah. somehow thinks I'm a I, woman. I, I don't even like beer, but the missus has wine. So we're kind of, you know, opposite of wine, beer. Do you think that's where the warped perception comes from, is the, that men are setting themselves in opposition to something that they don't want to be part of? Or that they, they aren't part of. I don't think it's a case of not wanting to be, mm. to be part of it. I think it's a case of they... It's just, I say, it's a... It's a really warped way of thinking. It is, and it's, it, and I, I try and avoid it because I also think it's really insulting to women. So do I. I, mean, I. I must be as different from you as possible for reasons. I, I uh, without wanting to sort of suck up to the, uh, the female section of our listenership, I'm constantly trying to be more like a woman in a lot of ways because I, uh, they, without again wishing to paint enormous brushstrokes, there are many feminine qualities that I think are absolutely essential to. Uh, being a human, right down to drinking wine, in fact. It's funny you should mention the beer and wine thing because I'm a wine drinker over beer almost 100% of the time. And it's amazing how a choice as trivial as that even you know comes with, really with baggage. People would expect me to be a wine drinker over beer, but I'm a beer drinker over wine. Yeah. And it's taking, or taking out of beer and wine even with that is the fact that we have assigned qualities a gender, yeah, which and, is insane. And qualities which have got absolutely nothing to do with gender. As a comedian, you you know, almost every male comedian i can think of if they drink at all will have a beer afterwards or a beer before if i it's all right now because i've got slightly higher status but the first few years of my career if i asked for red wine before a gig people looked at me as if i'd asked for heroin or gold you also had a really bad <laughs> lip throughout the whole gig so maybe they were doing you a service oh yeah look red wine does terrible things to your lips but it is amazing and of course if you go back far enough to the roman empire say men were chucking wine back that there was no tomorrow none of these things are immutable 
And yet all of us behave as if these rules are, you know, like gaming is for men, mm. beer is more of a men's thing. It's absolutely, if aliens came down and you had to explain why beer was more for men, it would be literally Monsters. impossible to do that. But we all live a lot of the time with these codifications in our head. You said something really interesting about when you got to 15, Adam, that you had decided that you were going to stop trying to be Justin Bieber, who I don't I don't know whether he was alive then, but the point stands. <laughs> but the idea that you were going to be the best Adam Pearson I could be. <laughs> That's quite a mature outlook, I guess, for a 15-year-old. Yeah. Were there any male role models that you saw, or, sorry, not male role models, role models who were men? Um, yeah. Were there anyone that you looked up to? What Were there anyone that you... Was, <clears throat> was there anyone uh, that you to, looked up to? Just to let you know, Michael, I have total faith in you to finish this question. <laughs> I mean, like, everyone here is rooting for you, and everyone at home is too. We, we got there in the end, Michael. Good, yeah. good for you. I'm trying really hard. Men. Both of us do this at least once an episode. And I, I, your instinct is to edit it out, but I think we may as well just embrace the fact this is who we are. And if anything, make it more of a feature. Leave it in. One day we'll have an episode which is just one question. And the question is like a, it's like a four-word question. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to sound like super, maybe not cliche, but and I don't want to overly philosophize this, but I, I always look up to my dad. Right. To me, he, he was he's kind, he worked hard, he he was always at my hospital appointments. Whenever I had to go in for surgery, he'd be the last person to leave the theatre before to see when he was the first person down in recovery, whilst holding down like a really difficult job. He was a, a quantity surveyor. Mm. Where, and, and now I know what that is I realise how hard the job was <laughs> uh, as, as a kid I knew what his job was I will see you me, if you're googling it under the table Michael <laughs> and people ask me what does that mean and I was just like uh, he, he sits in a room and counts down, like one microphone it was normally more difficult than just one microphone uh, no, yeah, was there was more in the room there was certainly more you in wouldn't the room. hire a quantity surveyor for one of any <laughs> <laughs> that's a collector I've surveyed the quantity oh. I think <laughs> yeah I think I might have bored down my dad's job a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> and so yeah, he was always who I looked to for kind of what are the good qualities that I want to inherit. And if there was things that I thought, well, that's a, I'm not sure I like that. I'd try and kind of finesse it a little bit to make it more Adam Adam Pearsony. And then when I was how old was I? 1992. Let me do the math. I'd have been seven or eight. I got in touch with the charity Changing Faces. Mm who are the UK's largest charity that support people with visual differences and, and facial disfigurements. And the the man who established that, the late, great James Partridge, I instantly had a lot of time and, and respect for. He was involved in a, a car accident when he was young. James Partridge was yeah. his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, received severe burns to his, his face and body. And even in his book, he writes that he walked out of that that Burns unit into this this new what was a new world for him. Yeah, and was like now now what? Yeah, I'm thinking about um, how nice it is to hear. And you, we've had a couple of guests talk about their dads and how it, later in life they've come to appreciate things about them that they perhaps weren't aware of having at the time. And it's nice for me because I'm a father of two young children. I uh, frequently, like every day, feel as if I'm doing a bad job of it. But I do try to be kind and try to, you know, it feels as if parenting is a game you almost always feel that you're losing at the time. And it's, it's so it always makes me quite kind of almost teary to hear people say that retrospectively they feel their dad didn't do a bad job because that's how I'd, I'd like my story to eventually play out. Yeah, well, even in there and then, I knew he wasn't doing a bad job. He was just getting on my nerves a little bit. Oh, mine think I am, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Mind you, I often am, that's the thing. 
No, I, I'm I'm very much my mother's son, and Neil's very much like dad. And, and why he, do you say that? Because well, <laughs> it's true. No, I knew what you meant. I'm just giving some patois. Oh, I good, see. Yes. Good, uh, <laughs> good word. Yes, I know, is. right? You've got a bit of everything. A little bit of patois. Within the first five minutes, you'd made reference to the Bible and Spinal Tap. Not every guest can do that. <laughs> Dad was very... He still is to a degree. Likes the rules, likes order, likes routine, but is a bit scatty, a bit forgetful, and also has this weird sense of humour. My brother is like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. Right. And the first time I told him that, he asked, what was the Big Bang Theory? And I showed him. Proving your point, presumably. And, exactly. And he categorically denied it. And so I did what I always do to settle tiebreakers, which now I'm saying out loud is the same thing Sheldon does. I asked Mum. <laughs> And Mum took one look at one clip I showed her and burst out laughing. <laughs> to which Neil got very angry. That's funny. I think this is really interesting because my brother and I, for example, have identical senses of humour and you imagine that it is something which you'd be likely to share with a sibling because so many of your references are the same. But that's not quite what was... What I find interesting to ask you is... Um, and this wasn't something I intended to ask you, but how important to the business of being a good man do you think a sense of humour is because obviously you love your brother and uh, like I, I ask it because it's always seen as an automatic good basically and if you're seen as being funny which in some circles I am people do uh, attribute other positive qualities to you oh yeah. that guy especially as a man it's like uh, he's, the, he's the funny guy he's the but often I reflect that being too much of a joker has caused me to massively underestimate important emotional mm-hmm. things that I should have dealt with much like you I've used humour to kind of maybe suppress things and I, I used to use it as a massive coping strategy or or mm. defence mechanism. I don't know what you're or, talking or, about. Almost, almost to avoid <laughs> difficult conversations. I've done 20 years of that. Yes, carry on. Kind of, oh, hi Adam, how are you? And if I'm having a really bad day, I'll be like, still disabled, how are you? Just to avoid saying, oh, actually, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. feeling a bit lonely Precisely. today. Precisely, it's almost quintessentially we, male behaviour. Can we get, oh, yeah, Absolutely. And the older I've got, the better I've gotten at having those conversations mm. and, and learning how to finesse when's the right time to make a joke about something when isn't. Because I've got a really dark sense of humour. I think when you've gone through hard things, mm. you inherently have a slightly darker sense of humour. Of course, yeah. You otherwise, because you, you've seen what? You've seen the darker side of humanity and still managed to find funny things. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it makes well, absolute sense that you would have evolved a sort of robust sense of humour. But we, we grew up with a lot of comedy in the house. We were both big fans of um, Kenny Everett, British Empire, Only Fools and Horses, Dad's Army. And yet your brother's sense of humour wasn't necessarily shaped by these things. No, but he loves them. He's the biggest right. Only Fools and Horses fan on the planet, probably. He's watched the whole thing at least 20 times. I have to ask, Michael, are you, and I, I hate to always ask these questions, but are you too young for Only Fools and Horses? I know what it is. Right, well, that's Is that start. one with Del Boy and Trotter? Quite, yes. Yeah. Uh, Del Boy and Rodney, yes. Oh, Rodney. The, the Trotter is their surname. Oh, You're I right. see. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I I know what it is and I could have watched it, but I chose not to because I wanted to watch Skins instead. No, fair enough. It's, it, I, this is a problem that I keep having, Adam. Is uh, I'm um, more than 10 years older than Michael and things like the Amiga or Only Fools and Horses, which one thinks of as being absolutely you know, intrinsic to anyone's experience. I have to sometimes stop the podcast and say, do you know what ketchup is, Michael? <laughs> 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 yeah. Have you come across Germany? <laughs> I think that's particularly fascinating because we both yeah. come from such separate schools of the world and, and schools of learning and everything like that. It's really interesting to learn from each other as well as 
as our guests. Uh, you mentioned something really interesting about not seeing exactly what you, how exactly you're feeling by using humour to kind of mask that. And you mentioned that sometimes you use humour to mask loneliness. And I was wondering, because I think that's something that comes up a lot when we talk about men and masculinity, is we all feel loneliness and we all feel isolation at times. Yeah. How, how has that impacted you as a person and how, how do you manage that? I try and surround myself with, with good people. Mm. And so now I've, I've spent ages, like... Because I used to handle loneliness really bad. I used to be like, oh, I'll hang out with anyone as long as they're not beating me up or, or whatever. And then I just ended up hanging out with people who weren't actually nice and they didn't have my best interests at heart. Mm. They, were, they were bad influences. And I just used to roll with a really really bad crowd but at the time it was better it was like better than having no crowd mm. or, or, or so i thought and now i'm older and wiser and, and no different i can i can select my friends better. absolutely right i think that you spend and this is not to patronize anyone younger who might be in the room but um <laughs> where I just think if there was anyone oh, significantly younger in the room i wouldn't want to patronize them but i do think someone said to me you spend a lot of your 20s trying to acquire as many friends as you can and then a lot of your 30s trying to get shot of half of them and I, I do yeah. think I'm 40 now and I've got a very very clear idea of what I want from a person but it takes a long time doesn't it to as you say back yourself enough to think I'd rather not be with people than just be with anyone yeah yeah just I, I'd rather be alone in a windmill in the rain than with you in a pub like, just to be able to get there as lines go for dumping someone that's, that's right up there I think you referenced um, being beaten up and you've said previously that secondary school was some of the worst times of your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Could you, however much you feel comfortable talking about that, could you talk us through why you think that happened? No, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be an open book about this. So in terms of physical stuff, that was somewhat rare. Mm. Those are very few and far between. But there's something very Darwinian about a, a school playground. If you yeah. want to see that theory in perfect motion, go to a secondary school playground and just <clears> when it's safe to do so how <laughs> yes. creepy everyone is and and, oh, absolutely. and and just watch evolution happening in the week picking off the strong and in the there and then you think it really matters but high school politics are dumb and you don't realise mm. how dumb they are yeah. until you're far removed from it and absolutely then you look right. back and just think I wish I didn't give so much of a fuck it's true and I hadn't spent five years of my life pandering to people who I maybe see once every three years in Tesco's <laughs> and say hello to. It's so true. I think of people that I was either threatened by at school or felt inferior to or whatever. And if someone had just said to me, mate, one day you'll never see this guy again, I would have been like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's brilliant. Thank you. Or as you say, you'll see them twice in the remaining time on Earth and once will be at the zoo and you won't speak. I'd be absolutely delighted. But as you say, at the time, it's all the perspective that you have. I'm going to preface this question by saying it's a difficult question because it's not your experience. Great great way to start the question, right? I think Adam's appetite will be whetted to the question, <laughs> certainly by that. But um, yeah. why do you... Th I like the, the analogy of, of it being very Darwinian, but mm -hmm. why do you think the popular kids or the cool kids do pick on what you've said as weaker kids? Why do you think that happens? What I think it comes from a place of deep insecurity right? and wanting to be, to be noticed. Mm. And it's, it's a dog-eat-dog dog world. And sometimes attack is the best form of defence. Mm -hmm. And sometimes popularity is all you have to hang your hat on. If maybe you're, you're not the smartest or, or maybe there are things that happen outside of school that affect that. Maybe they're going home to what is a very difficult, dark and lonely existence. 
and that one moment in the school playground is the only chance they get to exercise any any freedom, authority or dominion. And it just happens to play out in a very unfortunate way. It's true. It's often struck me that some people, school is as much of a kingpin as they ever will be. And the same with university as well. I remember being at university with people who appeared to be the big guys in all sorts of ways, socially, academically. But actual fact, looking back, that was as good as it got for some of them. And it's the same with school, isn't it? Some people will never again reach the status that they had at school. And so they're grasping onto every crumb of that. They even sense themselves, I won't be this guy forever. But given that, there'll be people listening, I hope, who... Well, I could leave it there, actually. I hope there are people listening. <laughs> Specifically, I hope there are people listening who it might not be to do with a disability or it could be anything, but there'll be people who feel an outsider in the way you're talking about, maybe people who are at school or in some or, or regardless of their... Yeah. What would you say now to the... You've, you've perhaps said some of it already, but mm-hmm. what would you say now to the, the, the person you were then that would help? Because it would be, it would be very nice if... Because it's very difficult, of course... When you are at school or when you are in a bad workplace or whatever, people will always say, this isn't forever. This, but when you're in the middle of it, it's nearly impossible to yeah. project. Yeah. It. So what, what would your advice be to people who have had some of the feelings that you are describing? I'd say, A, it, it gets better. Yeah. It absolutely gets better. But also, I wouldn't judge anyone today based on who they were when they were 14, 15, 16. Mm. It sort of doesn't matter anymore. No. No, and I know right now it, it feels like the be and end all, but it isn't. And again, I wish I had this maturity when I when I was at school. Exactly, this is why we're now but trying to pass it on. This is five years of your life. Just knuckle down, do the work, and prove them wrong. Because your perception of time does change, of course. At school, yeah. if someone said, hang on in there for five years, it, it seems like an eternity. But uh, five yeah, years yeah. can go by now, and I barely miss. That's like half your life when you're yeah. at secondary school. <laughs> exactly. How have those five years impacted who you are as a man today i think it has made me stronger it's made me know what i do and don't like what i will and won't stand for how i will and won't be treated mm. but also how i do and don't want to treat other people mm. as someone who knows what it's like to be at the bottom of a ridiculous pecking order mm. and to have a kind of pejorative name shouted at you or to be other than shunned for something that's very much outside of your control i refuse to do that to someone else and I'll, I'll give anyone a chance blank slate and if, if I'm wrong then mute but you know it, there are people who, who I'm friends with who if you'd have said those will be your friends when you're 35 I'd be like mate no <laughs> yeah. what that prick <laughs> yeah yeah are you kidding me he goes to board game and cover <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What you've described there, basically treating everybody as you would like to be treated as, you know, the golden rule. Yeah, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit Disney, isn't it? Well, I suppose, and I suppose it is, again, a biblical uh, sort of precept originally, isn't it? But what, why, and I don't think, again, I don't think this is an exclusively male problem, but men often are seen as having instinctive antagonism towards each other, being passive, hostile, lacking emotional sensitivity, empathy. Why, when you say what you've just said, which is, I try to treat people the way that I'd want them to treat me, it, it seems so basic, a principle of living, that it's amazing so many people don't do it. Why is it so difficult, perhaps for men in particular, to follow a rule as simple as just be the way you'd like people to be with you. Yeah, I think we we conflate and we confuse vulnerability for weakness. Mm. And I think there's this idea that if we kind of let our guard down and, and let let someone in and make an emotional connection with another fella, it's either a little bit weak or kind of, oh, that's a bit gay, isn't it, mate? Oh, what's all that about? In the same way that having a glass of wine is, yeah. yeah no, absolutely. Can confirm I am a little bit gay, mate. Are you? Yes, yeah. Well, you, you uh, know, no. I, I thought it would come up at some point, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's to do with a, a, perhaps a male perception that emotions and feelings are just, again, not quite our thing. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's an incredibly warped view of, of masculinity. And, and something I, I really can't get my head around how someone can, can get there. And I, I think the rise in single-parent families may have a lot to do with it oh, that's interesting. As, as well. Because, as I said, I had a male role model from, like, day one. I came in kicking and screaming yeah. with a man that would kind of show me how a real man behaves. But also, you yell at me for everything I did wrong for 18 years that, of my That is how real men of, behave, of my life, yes. loving, loving, yeah. loving correction with volume is how, how he described <laughs> it. In a, ah, the old LCV technique, yeah. <laughs> loving correction with volume. <laughs> like loving correction with volume. Christmas Day, it was awful. I, I'm going to try that on my son. I'm, I must lovingly correct you there. <laughs> with volume. <laughs> with a certain amount of volume. <laughs> Uh, you um, mentioned your dad as a role model, and you also mentioned James Partridge. What did he instill in you that made you look up to him? He was just an actual physical example of that you could look different, be different, and still be successful. James Partridge, this yes, is. absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. My, my life wasn't—I didn't have choices. My choices weren't simply limited to Bond villain or Batman villain. Mm. So I, I could do. So much more than that. Much I'm as not... you would like to be a Bond villain. Oh, I've heard yeah. you say oh, that before. absolutely. Even as an actor, those are fun roles to play. It must be great. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I get to go to work, be a dick, and get paid for it, and <laughs> then and then after I've said everything, everything's okay again. <laughs> yes, it's almost a perfect job, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's bullying without consequences. To be uh, evil, but without any of what comes after it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. When I say that, I get in a lot of trouble from the, the community who are well, going, "Oh, but yeah, then then you're letting us all down." And just like, mate, come on, it's, it's, it, A, it's my job. Mm. And 
be. I don't want a blanket ban on disability in film. I just want a better balance of disability Absolutely. and disability yeah. in film. If we've got as many disabled good guys as bad guys, rock and roll will work for everyone. It's when it's also one-sided. Yeah, because we're aware that, that you were that in the film my with... back uh, is up. Yeah. With Scarlett Johansson, but we're too cool to really mention it. Uh, I mean, I'm very impressed, I have to say. <laughs> no, thank, thank, thank you. It's one of my greatest... I did find out really recently... I was I I couldn't sleep one night. I was up at like three thirty, and I, I very rarely vanity search. I rarely Google my own name, but I did think I wonder what people have written about me, and I found a website where someone has reviewed my my penis, my ass, and my balls. On someone's got this website where they, they review naked men in films. Uh, there's a website dedicated to reviewing the genitals of people who appear naked on films. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we know where Michael's uh, phone will be going to. <laughs> I am on this website. Were you naked with Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, I had a naked oh scene my. with Scarlett Johansson. How exciting. We've all done that. <laughs> In your dreams, Mark. And yeah. we have to ask, how were you, uh, how favourably were you reviewed? <laughs> <laughs> I may have screenshotted it and sent it to my agent. There you go. <laughs> Would you believe it? Can we it? put this on the website? Was it a 10 out of 10? Well, uh, it was four and a half out of five. But oh, well, there was, there was, a, there was a line. pretty much. I think it was... His face might be a bit weird, but his cock and balls are spot on. I think that Goodness was the lie. Me. One for your hinge profile. <laughs> <I think. laughs> Not to do myself down too much, but I'd be delighted if my dick got anywhere near four and a half out of five. <laughs> that needs to go on your Tinder bio right now. <laughs> we often ask people as well what qualities they think should should make up a man, ideally. Well, in fact, Michael's got a cute way of formulating the question. Yes, imagine you're going to a Build-A-Bear workshop, but you weren't building a bear, you were building a man. And you had to instill three qualities in them that would make them a better man. What do you think they would be? Patience. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very interesting. We haven't heard that. Why do you say patience? Well, because life isn't always going to go your way, and you'll meet people who won't annoy you, but you probably annoy other people. Mm. <laughs> and so I think it's important that you accept people as they are and not try and change them. Yeah. Like, I've got a lot of mates who've got like, a lot of habits that just annoy the piss out of me. Like, when you'll be having a debate with something, and they'll go, oh, same difference. Like, is it the same? Is it different? Don't <laughs> yeah. put those two fucking words together. Look, pretend it means something. Honestly, you can probably get it just from the voice, but if you could see Adam, he's, he's absolutely... Because it doesn't see he's, he's, he's boiling over. His body language has seizing. transformed since he started talking not about it. Facial expression is normally beyond me, but right then... Yeah, no, it's, it's not at the moment. You're no. giving off terrible vibes towards people who say same different. <laughs> you know, you're right. Patience is not about not feeling angry with other people. It's about allowing them space to make you angry. That's a really, suppose, really yeah. good... It's about giving people the freedom not to be perfect. Thanks, Michael. That's, yes, really, that's, that's a really good way of putting it. Well, yeah. we both like that, yeah. Yeah, great, because I am not. <laughs> what are the other two qualities? Emotional intelligence. Mm. I, I think the ability to read a room, understand your feelings, understand other people's feelings, and, and act accordingly is an incredibly healthy skill to have but also not to run away from it and I think you know like sometimes I'll just sit in a room and be sad for a bit and then you know put on like Chris Connell's cover and nothing compares to you have a <laughs> bit of a sob then be like okay that's that dealt with and move on I like that and I like the uh, we often hear people say oh, it's fine for men to cry men should be more open about crying and things yeah. but it is a bigger question isn't it it's about we instinctively think that being sad is a, a negative thing to be, and so you, you try everything you can to fight against that. The idea that, you, that emotional intelligence involves properly recognising what emotions you feel and indulging yourself in that rather yeah. than trying to 
feeling them the down. feelings is so important. Actually, feeling your feelings is is an underrated uh, male skill. And I'm really glad you brought it up because yeah. it's something that I think a lot of a lot of people think about. And when you see often when you see a man crying on television, it feels unusual outside of soap operas because you kind of think oh gosh wow he's really going through it whereas actually he might just be feeling a bit sad and it's okay to cry even if you're feeling just a bit sad yeah there's this idea that crying is a very extreme thing to do and that feeling sad is a kind of admission of failure almost and especially because there is a lot of i believe the phrase is toxic happiness or something there's a lot of performance of how well things are going these days which means that if you feel sad for five minutes, you start to heap shame upon yourself for that sadness. Mm-hmm. That patience that you referred to as well links into that. It's like giving, being patient with yourself and letting uh, yourself yeah. feel those feelings when you need oh, to. Oh, completely. I, I'm, I'm my own worst critic mm. by a long way. I wish I was my own. I'm like, I'm writing this keynote that I've got to give, reading it back, thinking, this is utter dribble. What you've done is you've told a story, mentioned a few statistics made a joke that isn't going to fly in that room. And You're describing my life told here, another, by the way. <laughs> told another story. This has nothing to but do with how do you pull they... yourself back from those thoughts? Yeah, so is, is the point that you, you allow yourself to think those things and knowing that they will pass? Yeah, yeah, and also knowing that they aren't true. Mm. Right. It's just in that moment I'm having a little bit of a wobble and a little bit of self-doubt. So you're saying emotional intelligence, you're saying patience. What would be the last quality you build into? An acceptable amount of deviance. Okay. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. You don't see that at the bear workshop. <laughs> Can you expand on that? Just a little bit of edge. Yeah. yeah. Just enough where people will go, oh, Adam's here, but not so much where they go, and he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Adam's here, and he's prepared to be a dick, but he's not a dick all the yeah, way no, through. No, yeah. totally. I want people to like hanging out with me. Mm. But also be, be acutely aware that I've got a bit of eggs to me. And in the evening, the night could go sideways, but it'll be fun. <laughs> I, I really like that as an answer. I think it is. there's something a little bit bleak about sensing that there is no more to someone than what you're seeing. That there's no, that there isn't a story. Yeah. There just are. You know, you, people often praised for like, what you see is what you get with him. But actually, that's quite boring, isn't it? You'd hope there's a bit more. You would hope there's yeah, an yeah. inner life that you don't have immediate access to because yeah. that normally means that somebody's a more nuanced human. Yeah, so I think that's a great answer. It's a really nice way of putting it. Now, here's the awkward end bit where we um, don't yeah, know I'll how to finish. Do you have anything to plug? Oh, well, where can people find you? We often, oh, yes, we where can people ask. find you? Yeah. Uh, you can find me on the old Twitter at Adam underscore Pearson. That's where I do most of my ramblings and amusings. Uh, and um, can you remind us of the website where one can see your bum reviewed? Oh, yes, and, and oh, other, I, other parts. I don't know what it's actually... It can't be a difficult Google search, Google to be it, fair. To be honest. We'll yeah. search for it. And what is the film in which they may see? Oh, so that was in Under the Skin. Under and the I also skin. did a film called Chain for Life, where it's all out on display. On display. And not, not I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I've earned that four and a half out of life. <laughs> I mean, you're there's, almost there's, more of a porn star than anything else, there's, really, aren't there's, you? There's, that scene is on Pornhub. And now also means I can say to people, and this is probably the darkest joke I can ever tell, there's a reason people call me the Elephant Man, and it's not my face. Goodness me. That's a joke you have absolutely earned, which no one else will ever be able to. I also think that's a fitting end. Goodbye, everybody. So, uh, <laughs> activist and pornographer, Adam Pearson, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs>
And there we are, the end of another podcast where Mark is made uncomfortable by talking about penis length. Yes, unexpected amount of penis talk in this uh, podcast series generally, but there we are. (laughs) Hope you enjoyed that. Yes, and next week we have the fabulous Jamie Windust. No, thanks for having me. I've got a milky tea and I'm banging. I'm on the way. With two sugars. Two, two sugars. I've got a milky tea and I'm banging. It's very much the mentality we want. <laughs> yeah. We're often in for banging gear. <laughs> and Jamie Windus was a different kind of chat again, I think it's fair to say. We're always trying to broaden the perspectives. Yes, and we've had a lovely range of responses as well. We've had lots of emails in to our inbox, which is menkindpodcast at gmail.com. A really fascinating email I received. Quite a long one, but I'll summarise it from a lady who said that she is a woman and is not gay or trans and is fairly happy in her own skin but has found listening to our podcast really fascinating because it's not just men who feel these ways and um, she said that many of the men that we've spoken to and the non-binary people we've spoken to have said things that mirror or parallel thoughts and feelings she's had herself even though the situations are so different which has been really wonderful to hear yeah massively gratifying we're always keen to hear from people um, and the different perspectives and angles that they're listening from this was another lovely message we had this is from someone called Darren in Seattle of all places it's good for our egos obviously we like to feel Look at us, international podcasters. Global, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he says, I'm a, a, a mid-50s gay man who came out later in life. Your discussions about toxic masculinity and homophobia in sport have really resonated with me. Then he says, thank you so much for what you're doing for the dialogue around male masculinity. You guys are the best. So there you go. I presume he means the best people um, ever around. That's pleasing. <laughs> So thank you very much for all this. Do keep we, we read them all and it's it's we love it and it helps us to tailor uh, without wanting to sound too much like a website. Your responses help us to tailor your experience in future. <laughs> yes, please do keep getting in touch. Our email address is menkindpodcast at gmail.com or we are on Twitter and Instagram at menkindpodcast. And we do read your reviews on the podcast and we love it when you give us five stars. Mark actually cries when you give us Our egos are gossamer thin, as you're already aware. Um, <laughs> so with all that pressure on you, see you next week for Jamie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.